we've had a major increase in vulnerable narcissism because yeah. we have high levels of loneliness, high levels of anxiety, but it's not like people are the nicest people of all time. They're scared. They're anxious. They're a little bit entitled. They're a little bit mean. They're a little bit controlling, a little authoritarian. So my sense is we've moved into a, a lot of vulnerable narcissism. And that is one of the world's leading experts on narcissism, Dr. Keith Campbell, saying that. Wow. Narcissism has become an absolute buzzword over the past couple of decades, and it is not relenting. And since so many people are talking about it, I thought, well, why not get one of the premier authorities on the topic to help you understand it better? So Dr. Keith Campbell, he is a social psychologist and the author of several books on the topic, including The New Science of Narcissism and The Narcissism Epidemic. He's also a professor of psychology at the University of Georgia. But today he's here for you to answer so many questions. What's the recipe that creates a narcissist? Can you become one as an adult? What are the different kinds of narcissism? And what if you grew up with a narcissist? Maybe your sibling is a narcissist. Maybe your parent is a narcissist. Maybe now your boss is a narcissist or your partner. What do you do? How do you spot it? Deal with it? How do you heal from the damage of a narcissist, which sometimes you won't even realize until 5, 10, 15, 20 years later? Everyone has narcissistic traits, including you. But how do you know if you are one? Can I ask any more questions? Absolutely. But I will stop there for now. Oh, and if you like personality assessment tests, Dr. Keith will give you a very good one today. Plus, now that I don't know how many millions of people have watched my video with Dr. Gabor Mate, the one about how can people be raised by the same parents in the same way, but one becomes a narcissist and one doesn't, well... Dr. Keith gives his take on Gabor's answer. But just before we dig into this conversation on narcissism, I am blown away. I am blown away by your support, by all of the podcast and video shares. Oh, you'll definitely want to share today's episode, but I'm blown away by how quickly this community is growing in subscriptions to the podcast, but mostly growing in kindness. Because just like I aim to be the friend to you that you may not always be to yourself, you are that friend to me too. So thank you. I am grateful you are here. Now let's take a stroll on over to Dr. Keith Campbell and find out, oh, yeah, you'll probably find out a lot of things about yourself and the people around you that you never even realized before when we get into this conversation on narcissism. Her hair is curly, her teeth are pearly. She's got an edge, but she's still pretty girly. Oh, oh, nothing rhymes with Dahlia. I wanted to get to so many things, especially number one is putting my phone on Do Not Disturb. I kept oh, it yeah, off I of Do, do Not Disturb in case, yeah. in case you had to um, message me for whatever reason, but now I just did it. So narcissism, it is such a buzzword and it takes so many years in your life sometimes to realize that you were left in the wake of a narcissist's damage. <laughs> and 
I, I think that a, a lot of people also like this generation that may have been very impacted by narcissists, mm -hmm. they're starting to have this sort of reckoning with themselves. And then I want to get to understanding it. I want to get to understanding it when it comes to relationships, family, professional situations, romantic situations. When you talk about narcissistic personality disorder, if the rate is just one to two percent, I want to understand why the rate of damage in the wake of narcissists seems so much greater. And I also would love for you to give us your advice today. And when I say give us your advice on helping with narcissism and coping with it and getting over the damage you're feeling from it and staying away from these people, I mean, give us this advice as if you're talking to your daughter. That's, that's how I'd like I, the advice today. I will. I, uh, I don't give a lot of advice to people, but I will share my advice to my daughters. Even though That's I don't give perfect. them much advice either, I will. Well, I will do that now, for. So yeah, I will. Advice it doesn't, doesn't work. <laughs> advice just backfires, but I, I will do that for sure. Well, I want to start with this because it's interesting. You're you're a researcher, a social social psychologist. You look into narcissism so much. Every person whom you encounter in whatever exchange, are you analyzing them even without <laughs> even knowing it for these traits? Um. Yeah, that's what people ask. Are you analyzing me or whatever? And the answer is maybe a little bit, but not really. Uh, truthfully, most people aren't that interesting. <laughs> I'm spending a whole lot of time thinking about it. I'm just, um, and the other thing is, I don't really mind narcissism that much. I, I don't really like entitlement, but people are narcissistic. I, I'm an academic. I can get, I'm a full professor. Believe me, I can get along with narcissists. Mm -hmm. It's okay. So it really isn't like a, so occasionally I get my radar, it just goes like crazy. And I'm like, oh my God, this person is a disaster. I never say anything. <laughs> but, but usually I'm just trying to live my best life and have people go in peace and not trying to interfere with people's well-being yeah. or analyze them or anything everybody seems to analyze everyone as a narcissist these days and yeah. i think that it's also just become synonymous with what i would say a jerk hole other people you know might use yeah. a different word yeah but I, I think that it's almost lost its meaning because mm. people just use it for everything so i would love for you to explain the recipe, and I know there's yeah. a whole spectrum here, and then yeah. we have the disorder. What's the recipe that goes into narcissism? Yeah, so I, I, I just, if you don't mind me digressing a bit on this, about you know, 15, 20 years ago when we were talking, to, I was talking about narcissism gene, Twangy and I were doing work, talking to people. No one could even say the word because they'd say narcissism or narcissist. You know, it's just a hard <laughs> word to say, and it's weird. And, and now... It has exploded. I mean, over the last couple of decades, it's exploded in popularity. So people use the term narcissist all the time. But like you're saying, they don't, they're saying you're a narcissist, but they mean you're kind of a jerk. You're kind of antagonistic. That's the fancy word we use for jerk hole, which is your more polite term. But we would say, you know, high and trade. Jerk hole is pretty fancy. Jerk hole is perfect. <laughs> it's, it's offensive, but not over the top. Um, but that's somebody who's really high in a trait of antagonism, which is a piece of narcissism, but it's not the whole piece. So the recipe for narcissism 
we're talking about a couple things. One is a personality trait. And what that means is it's a sort of a consistent way of behaving over time and across situations. So somebody who is narcissistic will be narcissistic today. They'll probably be narcissistic next month. They'll be narcissistic at work. They'll be narcissistic when they're dating. They'll be narcissistic when they're playing golf. And they'll be narcissistic a month ago. So there's a consistency in behavior. And that's what makes personality. So when we're talking about a trait of narcissism, we're talking about a couple different a couple different faces or a couple different forms. One is this more grandiose form, and this is what most people are familiar with. You take somebody who is a jerk hole or somebody who's <laughs> highly antagonistic and sort of self-centered and has some entitlement, but you add to that or you blend that with a trait we call extroversion, which is energy confidence, maybe charm and charisma, if you're lucky, sociability, desire for leadership, ambition. So what you end up with is somebody who's an ambitious, charming, likable jerk hole. And somebody who's sort of nasty and mean and entitled, but also really charming and extroverted and ambitious. So a, a kind of a funny pathological example would be the Tiger King, who was on this Netflix special. And mm. he was a person who ran a tiger place down in, I don't know if it's Alabama or Oklahoma, um, incredibly psychopathic individual, but he was really energetic and, mm-hmm. and likable when you meet him, and he became very popular. So that's what you end up with grandiose narcissism is this combination of sort of meanness, but drive and energy. And that makes it really dangerous because you have people going into politics, going into, you know, media, going into academics, going into the priesthood because they're charming and driven and want to have high status and people like them at first, but they're kind of jerk holes. So that's the I grandiose. I like you're normalizing the word jerk hole today. I am too. I think you. it should be the new word. Yeah. <laughs> There's actually a lot of research on assholes and it really fits perfectly because it's high antagonism. So you're, you're dead on. With I've it. done a lot of research yeah. on those yeah. people. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, yeah you're, you nailed it. So I'm a life expert. Uh, expert. Uh, yeah, PhD of hard knocks, dealing with your calls. So then the other face of narcissism, which you're going to see more in therapy, if you're a therapist, you're dealing with people who are a little more insecure, depressed, is what we call vulnerable narcissism. So this is that same jerk holdness, I'm better, I'm entitled, uh, I'm important, I'm more important than other people, but I'm also insecure. I have a little low self-esteem. People don't respect me. Um, And so with this more vulnerable form of narcissism, what you're doing is a lot of self-protection. How dare you say that about me? I'm going to get you. You shouldn't say that about me. So rather than grandiosity and sort of self-promotion and getting attention, you're protecting yourself, putting other people down, kind of building a defensive uh, posture around yourself. And when you meet people who are more vulnerable narcissists, you talk to them and they seem maybe they're anxious or depressed. And then you get to know them. You're like, hey, you got kind of an ego in there, buddy. You're, mm-hmm. you're kind of neurotic and anxious, but you've got this huge ego. So those are the two primary faces, this more grandiose, which is what most people are talking about, you know, Doctor Strange or Iron Man. These are popular kind of characters. Uh, all our leaders, your leaders, our leaders, all the leaders. Um and then this more vulnerable form. So those are the two forms. So it's it's like jerk hole plus. Jerk hole yeah. plus leadership and confidence. You end up with grandiosity. Jerk hole plus vulnerability and neuroticism and low self-esteem. You end up with vulnerable narcissism. And then we can talk about NPD later if you'd like. Well, of course I'd like. That's part yeah. of the reason why you're here. But there's so many facets to this because 
I had a conversation with Dr. Gabor Mate. You saw this video in particular that I told you about. As soon as I put it up, within a few hours, a million people watched it. And it's, I I don't know how many millions and millions of people have watched this now. And from all of the comments I get on this, I want to say the exact question I said to him. How could you have people who are raised by the same parents in the same way? One becomes a narcissist, one doesn't. And his response, by the by, was partly because no two people have the same parents. And he goes on to explain that. But what people gravitated towards the most in that conversation was the word narcissist. And everybody started talking about my sibling, my mother, my this, my that. I want to know more. I want to understand more. And then parents were like, my child turned into a narcissist. How could I have done this to them? Why did I make them into this? Everybody had a narcissist story that came out of that. Everybody was an expert. By the way, everybody who answered, they everybody's spoke about an the expert genetics. except for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's that's why I'm turning to you because you're the only one who really isn't um, so involved on social media. So I feel like you'll know the best. <laughs> Can you please explain genetically, environmentally, yeah. all of these maybe traumas that create the yeah. narcissist? So. That clip with Dr. Mate was was wonderful. I think I I disagree with him a little bit, and I agree with him a little bit, and I think we could tease it out. When you look at, you know, this is the science. We look at big samples of people, and we say, where does your personality come from? Dahlia, Keith, where do you come from? Well, when you look at people and you look at their families, you look at their siblings, what you see is about 40, 50% of how we end up is we inherit it. It's genetics probably that we get from our parents. So my personality looks like my ancestors of different kinds, my daughters. I look at one daughter, I'm like, oh, you remind me of uncle so-and-so and you remind me of grandmother so-and-so. So there's this there's this big genetic piece that goes into it. And that's probably the biggest independent piece and then what, what catches people, what trips people up is parenting itself is relatively small when it comes to predicting personality. We're looking 10, 20% of, of the outcome is half, how much of a parent you are. And this is really, con- it, it gets confusing and somewhat concerning to parents because you're like, well, I'm in charge. I should be changing my kids to make them the way I want. But you can't do that. You can't change your kids to make them different people. I have two daughters. They are totally different. I could not make one into the other in a million years. If I tried to do that, I would destroy them. I would be destroying their psychology. And so parents will say, I want to make my kids like me or not like me. And you end up kind of wrecking your kids because we're so hardwired for a personality. But... You could be hardwired, like I'm hardwired to be very extroverted. It makes me a high risk for narcissism. You take a person like me, a little more meanness when I'm growing up, a little trauma. Maybe I start hanging out with a bunch of Hollywood guys when I'm a kid. And next thing you know, I'm Mr. Mr. Narcissist Hollywood. So the parenting matters, but it's not, it's not as big as we think. And then the other piece that matters, we call non-shared environment, is kind of luck. It's just sort of who you hang out with, who you don't hang out with, the culture you're in, the culture you're not in. What Dr. Mate, I think, was referring to, which is very important, is because my kids are different genetically, I parent them differently. Because on one hand, I'm, I'm older, but they're also different kids. So one kid who's super hardworking and conscientious, I'm not hard on her at all. I'm really easy on her because she's so hard on herself. Other kid who's not hard on herself at all, I'm a little bit hard on. So 
as parents, we kind of deal with what we've got as kids and we try to make them work the best we can. That's so that's sort of my answer if that kind of answered your question. So it oh. Oh no, I, I, I was didn't gonna keep to going about you. narcissism too. I, I I let you interrupt me. I'm sorry. What Oh well no, since you I was inviting just... an inter- I was inviting <laughs> an interruption because <laughs> I talk too much. No, I I breathe and a thousand words come out. So <laughs> my question you're a great audience. Thank you, thank you. My my question would be so you say that parents about ten to twenty percent of how they're raising yeah. their kid could be affecting it. And about did you say forty to fifty percent would it's be genetics? genetics. Yeah. I'm yeah. A, I'm a talk show host, not a math show host, so you're giving me real work over here. And uh, And this is all kind of vague. Not- yeah, it's just what we call it. the fancy word is non-shared environment. It's just stuff so, that's, you know, who your kids well, hang out with, what they watch on the TV, just noise. If we speak about the importance of childhood development and how those years are so impressionable, then how much of an effect to give you the narcissistic traits, you know, where you're going to land on the spectrum, if you're going to be NPD, how much of an effect does, let's say, as uh, an adult, cocaine and success have on you where you land on that versus your childhood development is your position on that spectrum static or dynamic Uh, that is a great question i I, and i i'll just try to piece all this out because it's going to take me a second Uh, you hit a bunch of things so the first question i think with kids is your personality gets set if you want to look at what's going to make you really pathological it's going to be trauma and that sort of experience of trauma. And some of that your parents do to you, but some of it is life experience. You know, you grow up during a war, you're in Ukraine right now, and you're experiencing trauma. And maybe that has nothing to do with your parenting, but you end up developing a, you know, a defensive structure and becoming more narcissistic for that. So then the question is, what about if you're an adult and what they call, the old psychoanalyst would call situationally acquired narcissism, which essentially is you became famous and then everyone said, Keith, you're the best, have some cocaine. So you started doing a bunch of coke and hanging out in the green room with a bunch of people in Hollywood and you started believing your own hype. You became a legend to your own mind and you started going, my goodness, I really am that great. All those people that suck up to me are right. You know, they don't just want my money and fame. They really admire me. So there's this concern about situationally acquired narcissism. The research on it is really kind of vague because it's very hard to do research on celebrities. And the one study we have done by Dr. Drew of Love Lines and Mark Pinsky over at USC, where they gave the narcissistic personality inventory to about 150 celebrities on Love Line, they found higher narcissism scores in celebrities, especially, you know, stand-up comedy, reality television stars. So it's sort of the, the celebrities that have the least the talent. Yeah, the, yeah. the D-list is where you get the, the path- most pathology. And when we looked at it across time, it didn't seem like people were getting into Hollywood, then becoming narcissistic. It seemed like people were kind of getting into, and I'm just making this up from the data. We just Mm -hmm. don't have good enough data. It looked like people are kind of going into fame, taking their personality into the fame, and then trying to make it work. So sometimes people, the fame got too crazy, and they move out of the system. They go, I'm going to go move to Idaho for a few years and get out of this fame trap. But other people who are sort of fame-focused just dive right into it with both fists. And, um, well, you, you, 
if you've been in this world, you know what happens is people get a little fame and then they want more and more and more. They get and they you don't get that much. I mean, the world only cares about you for 15 minutes or 15 seconds, and so people get addicted to fame. And that idea of compulsive fame seeking can be a dark side of narcissism too. So mm-hmm. I skillfully didn't answer your question, which is which is I think is more powerful because I don't really have a great answer. I think they're both. You know, both of those social phenomena can can sort of pull for narcissism and exacerbate narcissism in people that already have it. Just anecdotally, as you were giving that information, I was thinking of D-list celebrities whom I've interviewed versus higher level, I guess you could say. And I just remember this one time, this <laughs> this celebrity who came in and he's like, and we're absolutely D-list. We're absolutely not talking about this. And we're absolutely not talking about that. And we're not talking about my daughter's new hit song because we've decided that we don't talk about these things. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do it. You know, after he yeah. gives me his shopping bag to hold when he walks in instead of shaking my hand i thought okay that's interesting and then we sit down the mic goes on and the first thing he does he starts talking about his daughter his daughter's new (laughs) album yes that's awesome he wanted to have this say this power over what direction or conversation yeah. he wanted to give himself that power because he probably never i don't know I, now i'm playing psychologist i can't do no that i i do too but i know what you're saying you're saying people that really have power and status don't need to flex they don't because do everyone it. knows tom cruise is cool and if tom cruise says hey keith nice to meet you i'm like tom cruise is the greatest guy ever <laughs> you know and it, and if some d-lister comes in and says i mean i don't even know who you are man it's like we're all a like fame is so chopped up now. There's no more Elvis. There's no more Beatles. You know, there's no more Gordon Lightfoot. I'm just as a Canadian reference. It's just, there's no more. We're all like, we're famous in these little tiny boxes. No one knows who we are. It's okay. Well, everybody feels famous like these days. Social media can give you that whatever. Yeah. And I, I want I want to get to that oh, idea. Of, yeah. We have to talk about the social media thing because especially looking at your book that you did, I think it was in 2009 when you did oh, the, the narcissism, narcissism ep- epidemic. Yeah. yeah. And I see something that sort of remind it's reminiscent of what you wrote about in the book how you know the financial crisis bred a, a certain sort of response in people which you could speak to far better than I but the thing that I find interesting is at the peak of the pandemic everybody became so empathetic and compassionate and uh, down to earth and these uh, flexes of narcissism seemed to wane a little mm, bit yeah and now that we're heading in much of the world, you know, is feeling recession, financial crisis, depression is at an all time high, loneliness, anxiety are at all time highs. Well, suddenly, narcissism is growing into a stronger cloud, reminiscent of what you were writing about in that That's interesting. book. Do you feel any of that? I, I feel a lot. And what you're what you're hitting on, this is such a big discussion, but we wrote the narcissism epidemic, Gene Twang and I, you know, we're looking 07, 08. This was kind of the height of the Kim Kardashian era and the selfie era. And it was the huge economic bubble into the recession. I was sort of watching it, you know, free money. Anyway, free money makes people crazy. That's a, I make very narcissistic. So watch that happen and write the book. And then we had the great 
financial crisis, the Great you know Great Depression too. I don't know what other people call it. And with the Great Financial Crisis, there was a reset over time where a lot of the people's ego that was involved, like I'm going to be rich, I'm going to be famous, that kind of got knocked down. It took the wind out of people's sails because there was no jobs for a few years. So Narsim seemed to drop. And what you saw starting in 2013, 14 was huge, like, a, I should say huge, a, a, a spike up in loneliness, depression, anxiety, especially with the young girls. Mm-hmm. And this is when we started looking at cell phone use and the problems. So this is gets really, it gets complicated because when kids are using social media, like we're talking about, they're basically celebrities. So they get all the celebrity problems. You get narcissism, you get body dysmorphia, my nose is too big, so you get your selfie, you get your you know, plastic surgery, because you, you know, the way you hold your camera makes you look weird. And all these celebrity problems happen. And the other thing you get is you get a ton of social comparison, where everyone's on social media going, look at that person, they seem like they've got it together, and I'm a loser. So there's a huge amount of social comparison happening. And when it ended up happening is tons of people got really depressed. I mean, that's part of it. The isolation, the atom is, there's a lot of things going on, runaway individualism. And the online shopping that you're trying to buy whatever product it is because your self-esteem has been stolen from you by the advertiser so they could sell it back to you. Then you buy the self-esteem, but you don't realize that it's self-worth that you need. And then you still feel empty. Yes, that's how they sell you. It's like they make you, so like the narcissists win. And then the anxious people go, I need my teeth to be wider. I need to be better looking. I need a better car. So I'm going to catch up with those people. I'm going to try to buy my self-esteem. So you start doing it, but it never works because you can't fill up the hole inside. So the system, I mean, it's this kind of evil capitalism where you just play on people's insecurity by creating their insecurity and then sell them a solution. But the solution doesn't really work. Yeah, it's sick. Really sick and dark. (laughs) But the thing is, we're, we're told this, you know, you, you could explain this right now. And I've had other experts come on and yeah. talk about these things. And the thing is, people are so entrenched in this place of loneliness. And I feel like, yeah. you know, so the narcissistic personality disorder, I think this is sort of bringing us back there because we still have to get to relationships and yeah. advice from you like you would give to your daughter. But yeah. I feel like narcissistic personality disorder, which first, I'm just writing this down so I remember, you. we should have you clarify that before we go on. For sure. But this other side of thing, number two, what I want to get to is, well, since we have this rise in loneliness we have this rise in anxiety we have this rise in depression i see two problems with that one is that people do try to fill that self-esteem void instead of with self-worth with products and that leads to this maybe the vulnerable narcissistic type of traits that you speak about and then the other side of it is lonely people sad people depressed people who are they attracted to the most? They'll be attracted to a grandiose narcissist who makes them feel like a queen or a king or whatever type of royalty. And so then there's so much danger of getting involved with narcissists. So let's circle back to NPD and then let's talk about the problems with loneliness, the twofold, one becoming a vulnerable narcissist maybe, and the other is easily succumbing, being in a position where you'll easily succumb to the powers of a narcissist. Well, let's find out next. So if they really want to, how much can a narcissist change? 
Yeah, I should say I laugh a lot. It's because I'm very sad about the world. It's not like I'm <laughs> laughing at this. I just, it's how I cope. Um, so I, I, I'm laughing right now, too. Yeah, <laughs> is, um, yeah, we made everybody socialize, aided, lonely, broke all their relationships, told them to live their lives alone. And strangely, they're miserable. And then they buy stuff to try to fill the void. It doesn't work. What a surprise. Yeah. So narcissistic personality disorder is the extreme form of narcissistic personality so what happens is if your personality if you're narcissistic at work but then come home and you turn it off and you're a loving dad it's fine right but if you're narcissistic at work and then you're narcissistic with your kids and you're narcissistic at church you end up messing your life up so what happens is people whose narcissism becomes extreme and inflexible they just can't adapt they can't turn it off they can end up with impairment. And the impairment might be their relationship falls apart, their marriage falls apart. Could be they start to fail at work because people don't want to work with them anymore. It could be they start making dumb decisions because they're so arrogant, they start making high-risk decisions and they fail a few times. It could be they kind of lose touch with reality a little bit. Like they just can't really function that well because they think they're much more important than they are. The most common thing you'll see with narcissism is relationship problems. You know, the the people that get damaged by a narcissist are the, the spouse, the kids, the parents. And so if you have narcissism that's extreme and has impairment, and if a couple other things, like it's you know not because you're doing coke every day, it's an actual personality disorder that started when you were 16 or whatever, then it will be diagnosed as narcissistic personality disorder or NPD. And that is... They estimate about 1% or 2% at any time has that disorder. But you've got to remember, you've got to consider that you might have NPD, but if you fall below that, you're still pretty darn narcissistic. It just might not be a disorder. You know what I mean? It's like it's like you could be really anxious, but it's not an anxiety disorder, and then it can be a disorder. And there's not a real line between those things. It's the same with narcissism. It's like there's not a huge bright line between being narcissistic and having NPD. And so that 1% or 2% are sort of the extreme clinical cases, but you're narcissistic, you're doing a ton of damage anyway, even if you don't have a disorder. And the other thing with narcissists is they tend to do damage to a lot of people because they rise up in power. So they end up in my job or your job, they end up in front of a microphone, they end up being a leader, they end up as a, as a pastor, they end up as a rabbi. So you end up with the, these narcissists end up, they, they, they end up being able to do damage because they rise to power. So that's... I don't know if that makes sense. So that's the NPD piece, and that's a clinical diagnosis. So you go to your psychiatrist or psychologist, and they will diagnose you. How but you many can't people d- with NPD go to their psychiatrist? Well, yeah, and that's the, that's the real challenge is you're not going there because of you. You're, you go to your psychiatrist because either you've got an addiction that's so bad or your wife says, go to the psychiatrist or I'm leaving you, or your boss says, even though you have the best sales of anybody in the company, I'm still firing you if you don't go talk to Dr. Jim down here. So people who are narcissistic get pushed into therapy more than they choose to go. And the, and the issue is therapy works. I mean, people like therapy doesn't work for narcissists. It seems to work if you can stick with it, but people who are narcissistic don't really want to stay in therapy because they're not the problem, it's their wife. Or their and they'll husband. probably sit there just also trying to outsmart the therapist. Absolutely. That's exactly what I would do if I were a narcissist. I'd outsmart the therapist. I'd say she's an idiot. He's an idiot. I'd, I'd learn more than they did. I'd catch him making mistakes. And then I'd psychoanalyze them. And then occasionally I'd have them tell me I was a legend. And I'd go home thinking, yeah, my, <laughs> my wife sucks. I mean, that's just that's what you do. 
So it's hard to treat because people don't really want to be treated. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like having well, an addiction. You know, you're, you're an alcoholic and you, you go, oh, I wish I were an alcoholic, but I sure want another drink. And if my wife would just let me drink, it would be okay. So mm-hmm. it's like that with narcissism, like it, it sort of works for you. You often need someone pushing you into therapy. Well, I'm still going to get to that point because oh. I wrote it down because I don't want to oh. forget it. We have to go to the vulnerable narcissism in the world now. Oh, is go that there, go now? there, go there. So then the question you're bringing about vulnerable narcissism is what I, I speculate is going on is that we've had a major increase in vulnerable narcissism because yeah. we have high levels of loneliness, high levels of anxiety, but it's not like people are the nicest people of all time. They're scared. They're anxious. They're a little bit entitled. They're a little bit mean. They're a little bit controlling, a little authoritarian. So my sense is we've moved into a a lot of vulnerable narcissism, especially during the pandemic, you know, with all the fear, because when you have so much fear and defensiveness around, I just don't have data for that. So I'm not going to come out here and say that's what's going on. I speculate, but I just don't have data. 2009 was the book, the epidemic, the narcissism epidemic. What is it in 2022? I think what's going on is that narcissism is high, but it's 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 kind of turning to more to more more vulnerability. And if I had enough data, I could just look. I just don't have the data to look at it because there's no national board measuring this. Um, I think what we're seeing is a lot more vulnerability, which is narcissism and neuroticism. So narcissism and anxiety, narcissism and and depression. And vulnerable narcissists aren't that much fun. I mean, grandiose narcissists are entertaining. You know, we watch these people all the time in reality television. All our celebrities, we're like, look at that idiot. But they're kind of entertaining. Vulnerable narcissists aren't entertaining. They're, They're entitled. They're mean. They're self-absorbed. They're not really thinking about other people because of fear. So I think that's what's going on. But it's you don't see it quite the same way because it's not like you're seeing the, the Paris Hiltons out there. You know, but you see it on you see it on social media. You and see it on social media. You see it with mobbing and bullying and stuff like that. Yeah. And even just having the ability to buy a product that you see in a social media video these days almost oh. instantly. And so that's going to try to fill that hole. And it's it's just it's rewarding. <laughs> it's breeding narcissism. It's rewarding narcissism. I want to just get back to this oh, yeah. point before because I can go on forever about oh, what social God. media is doing. And I'm sure you can, too. I want get back to the point about people who are so lonely these days that one they do you already commented on that you know the vulnerable narcissistic traits there it's a higher risk for developing those but the other thing is falling into the trap being lured by a narcissist because at the beginning look narcissists they are fun they are great to be around at a party you guys will live it up if you want them to protect you you want them to be your lawyer you want them on your team and you'll do everything they say they're the best person to have around but after you actually get into whatever sort of relationship with them whether it's at work or whether it's romantic or whatever the case uh, then you're going to start to feel the damage. Yeah, absolutely. So I, the question I think you were you're getting at is, is there a concern with a lots of vulnerable narcissism and loneliness? And we've done research on loneliness, and it's incredible right now. I mean, people are so socially isolated. Oh, my God. I mean, I had friends during the pandemic who didn't hug anybody for months. 
I, I think I went, the, the last person I hugged was this man named Ray. He was blind. He was in his 70s. And we were on the phone as a radio host. I was talking to him and he said that he was so lonely. And this was right before the lockdown hit. And I invited him in studio to sit with me so we could talk and have a conversation. And he said something so profound that he just, if people don't know who he is, then when he dies, he'll never have meant anything to anybody. So this was so important to him. And then we hugged. So what a great last hug to have before not hugging someone for 18 months. But I went 18 months without hugging someone. This is evil. You shouldn't do that. I mean, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that to people. Like people need to hug each other. People need to, we're, we're social creatures. We're like, we should be running around and like puppies. That's how we are. You know, occasionally we, you know, I could be weird and go out in the woods for a while, but, oh, so I, I, I study um, narcissism and I study, I do some work in the psychedelic world. I do some work on ayahuasca. So I'm in these spiritual worlds a lot, talking to people, which I love. But what you notice is that in the world of science, in the world of spirituality, a lot of worlds, people don't know what to do. Everybody's just like, what do I do? The world is chaotic. It doesn't make sense. So people start looking for a leader. They, I want a guru. I want someone who's got the answers. And the truth is, I, I, I've been doing academics for 30 years, maybe. I don't have the answers. It's really hard. <laughs> like Life is really complicated, really hard. In 30 years, I kind of have more questions than I have answers. And I, I have a pretty good handle on things. But people look for gurus because they, they want somebody to give them the answer. Well, here's the problem. People who are narcissistic think they have the answer. And they're willing to give it to you. So when you start studying cults, when you start studying... Well, you know, some startup companies, even with really strong founders, when you study some religious groups, what you end up with, or even relationships, oh my God, you end up with these sort of confident, narcissistic people, just like attracting, attracting like moths to a flame. Because people are like, oh, this person knows the answer. Look at, look at Dr. Campbell over there. He's got it made. He's really got it all dialed in tight. I'm like, dude, no, I don't. I barely get out of bed in the morning. But people think that because everyone thinks so. I'm suffering, but someone else has the answer. No one has the answer. I promise. No one has the answer. I hate to say it, but I met everybody. None of them have the answer. <laughs> I talked to all of them. <laughs> well, everybody, everybody thinks that they're the only one. Everybody feels so alone, yeah. but they're not talking about it. They look to other people and they think that those other people are doing so well in life. You've heard of people who have taken their own lives because they look uh-huh. at somebody on Instagram. And they're like, I wish my life was like that. And a girl from Florida, a teenager comes to mind immediately because I remember doing her story when it happened and she took her life. She used to be the star everything in high school. She couldn't handle college. It was too uh-huh. much for her. Yeah. And then when her friends saw that, because she thought all of her friends' lives were so great because she watched them on Instagram. Yeah. And then her friends saw what happened and discovered that she took her life because she thought all of her friends had it together while she didn't. They all said, I don't have it together. I was looking to her. I was looking to her because she was mirroring what they were doing and putting those selfies on Instagram and they thought she's doing great. Every time I say the story, it gives me absolute chills because I yeah. know that that is just representative of so yeah, many people. So much. Everybody is suffering. Everybody has a cross to bear. I talked to, well, you talked to a lot of people too, so you can confirm this. I talked to a lot of people. Everybody is suffering and no one has the answer. You know, I mean, 
it's just how it is. And I see these young kids struggling. I've never seen kids struggle like this last few years at university when they shut things down. It's just horrifying between social media and the lockdown. So everything you're getting is through social media. Here's what happens in social media. The people that are out there posting stuff are the most narcissistic people. That's one group. And the other group is people who go, I've got to compete with them to post stuff <laughs> because I need to get my brand out there. So there's the brand building, which you have to do. That's part of life. I don't build enough brand and my publishers don't like that. So what happens when I pull up my social media, I look at Twitter, I'm going to see more narcissism than is real in the world because all the people on my social media are the ones narcissistic putting out content. And they're also the ones that are more connected. They have more followers, more connections on social media. So my view of the world through social media is a narcissistic world. It's also a world where people are self-presenting in a positive way, which is a fancy way of saying people are making their lives look better than they are. Mm -hmm. It's not that people are totally phony, but people are gilding the lily or putting lipstick on the pig or doing whatever you want to call it. So I've talked to a few influencers who are real influencers, and it's very hard to do because it looks like you just, ah, there's my selfie. Well, that selfie took 25 minutes, 14 takes. They have an assistant doing the, getting all the sheen off them and the filters. It's exhausting. And then you just wait for feedback on your looks. How'd you like that mm -hmm. to be your life? Like you'd send out a picture and wait for people to give you positive or negative feedbacks on your face. I mean, that's just a recipe for depression. It, it's difficult. It's Look, I could say this as somebody who, you know, you talk about the pressure to get content out there and the narcissist who puts stuff online. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, this is my you, job. This you is have my work. to. If you don't do I it, have you, you to. have to. Yeah, it's your and job. It, it scares me because I think everybody asks themselves this question and you I've heard you have conversations and I think every single person you've had a conversation with has said, Oh my goodness, you know how often I wonder if I'm a narcissist. Oh, too. every everybody, everybody I talk to, yeah, every successful person everybody. I talk to is like, Oh man, I'm kind of a narcissist. I'm like, dude, you're okay. You're nice to your kids. You're still married. You, you know, you you're nice to me. You're okay. You're not a bad guy. You're fine. But you know, we're all competitive. We all think we're better than we are. I mean, not all of us, but most of us have a little bit of positive illusions, we call it. It's adaptive and healthy. If I, if everyone had an accurate view of themselves, they would be miserable. <laughs> People with depression, it's actually that they're, they're very actual. They're very factual. <laughs> they're very realistic. They don't have a romantic vision of themselves. So yeah. People with depression... They probably have a yeah. better handle. I on mean, who there's they that, it's the sadder but wiser hypothesis, we call it. Yeah, it's that depressed mood. Now, sometimes you get really clinically depressed and it ends mm -hmm. up being like almost the opposite of narcissism. Like, I'm the worst person on earth. Yeah. And you're like, dude, really, you're not that important. Like, no one cares to say you're that bad, which is kind of, you don't want to say that to people either. And everything in society that if we want to be a content creator, which is what they're forcing kind of all of us to do, yeah. you have to channel narcissism, you have to use narcissism, and you have to be comfortable getting a lot of positive and negative feedback from strangers on the internet. And not receiving feedback. That's the other side oh, that's difficult. It's like not throwing stuff into the void. You're just throwing yeah. the content out there and nothing happens. You're like, oh, I don't, yeah. I've had so many questions from people ever since I brought up the whole idea of narcissism. So I want to get to relationships. Yeah. And before we even get to the whole idea of romantic relationships, I think a very important one, especially that came out of that conversation I had with Gabor, 
our sibling relationships Mm -hmm. and somebody who said my sibling is a narcissist and it is the type of damage that a lot of people don't realize until 20 years later 30 years later in their life and then it becomes a whole other type of damage because you could start beating yourself up over something that you haven't been dealing with all of these years you you are a hundred percent right about that. I, I always say that's I used to call that like the double curse of narcissism because I noticed that in relationships or a lot of people would have a bad relationship, then they get out of it and then they start beating themselves up for dating, you know, Doctor Strange or whatever, like it's kind of a good looking dude. I don't blame you. You know? He has some real talents. I he think some he's talent. one of the better characters, yeah. And everyone's like <laughs> punching themselves. Yeah, it, it's really bad. When when you have a sibling who's narcissistic. They're your family. You have choices when there's someone narcissistic in your life. You can choose to cut them out. You can choose to allow them to cut you down. There's a trauma bond that sort of holds you together. But if you choose to stay in their life, you've got to learn how to deal with them or you're going to be in servitude of their ego and their narcissism. You are their fuel forever. Yeah, and that's a good way to put it because that that idea of narcissists using people for fuel as a metaphor is a good one because people will exploit you to either they either you know use your fame to get ahead or they'll want you to do things for you or financially exploit you. But there's lots of ways. Often people who are narcissistic will just use you to build their own ego, your prop mm-hmm. in their life. Um, so in 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 families. Uh, you can have the narcissistic parent, you have a narcissistic sibling, you can have a narcissistic child, though I don't hear that quite as much. Mostly people are concerned their child's going to be, become narcissistic. And as you said, in real life, if you have somebody that's really toxic, you just try to get away from them. You have an aggressive person at work, you just try to distance yourself. But if it's a family, you can't. So you have a choice. This is advice I will give my daughter. Okay, that's Thank what I'm going to phrase is I don't give people advice, but you're kind of cornering me here because everyone's <laughs> journey is different and my journey is different than yours. But the advice I would give my daughter is if there's one person that's narcissistic, first thing or one of the first things to do is find allies, people, either other siblings or a parent or friends or a psychotherapist or a narcissism coach who can help you maintain what reality is. So when you say this, my sibling is lying to my mom about all this stuff to make me look bad because he wants to inherit mom's apartment in Manhattan. I might, if I tell this my, my narcissistic sibling that, the sibling's going to go, you're making that up. That's not true. You're a liar. And here's what you did. Gaslighting. This is basically what we call ga- gaslighting, which is a very popular term now, strangely mm-hmm. enough. It's what you're doing is, is the narcissist distorting reality. So what you need is you need a source of reality testing. That's where you have like a group of peers, you're an expert that goes, and then the person destabilizes you and you go back and say, what happened? And Dolly's like, Keith, dude, he's just a narcissistic jerk. And you're like, oh yeah, you're right. Okay. So it's really good to have have allies that can help you keep a stable view of reality, document things, keep a record of things, build really firm boundaries to the extent you can. Now, in a sibling relationship, you can probably do this because it's probably not a dangerous situation like it might be in a marriage. You know, marriage, when you start drawing boundaries with a narcissistic spouse, you can end up with violence. And sibling, you can too, but it's not as threatening, I think, generally. I could be wrong on this, just my speculation. Um, so set strong boundaries. You can't say that to me. You can't do this. 
And if you need to, you bring in attorneys and set up structure. You just have to set up order so the narcissist can't run rampant, run roughshod over everybody. That they're they're controlled. So that you know, so they can't rip off your mom. So you got to get a good attorney with your mom. So there's a lot of that going on to just self protect. The next question people do is you go, well, can you change the person or get rid of them? Well, it's really hard to get rid of a sibling. And a lot of people don't want to get rid of their siblings because those are the people you share the most longest part of your life with your siblings, more than your parents, more than your kids. You share life with your siblings. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what you got, your siblings. Mm -hmm. So people don't want to kick their siblings to the curbs. They try to make it work. So what people end up doing is they end up having a very controlled and limited relationship. So I, we talk about football and we talk on text on the weekends. And that's our the extent of our relationship. And as long as I don't say anything emotional or ask for any trust or be vulnerable, I can have kind of a surface level relationship with my uh, sibling and it's okay. And that's not great. I wish I had more, but scary, it's okay. It could be scary though if, if, if you're in a, in a surface level relationship with anybody, you're often walking on eggshells. What an Absolutely. uncomfortable way to live. I'm the type of person, yeah. uh, especially as I got older, I just, I cut this out, I cut that out, I cut this out, I cut that out. There's a detriment to it, absolutely. And there is a feeling of maybe loneliness or isolation is probably a better word, but there's such a feeling of freedom. Yeah. And there's a feeling of, oh, I could breathe. It changes. Yeah. Things. Well, that's, you're, you're right. Cause you're talking about like a super controlled relationship where so you're, you're trying to be really, con- like if I have normal friends, like my normal friends, I'm just myself. That's what a friend mm-hmm. is. Or like my, I might call my sister right now. I, my, either of my sisters, I'm just myself. It's great. Um, but if you have somebody who's narcissistic, you're controlling everything. You have to think about it. You have to watch what they say. It's exhausting. Yeah, I'm not. I'm just saying if you want to keep the relationship great. And then the other thing you can try is you can try an intervention. And people, you know, people are con- familiar with this primarily from addiction. So alcoholic intervention where you get everyone in there and say, hey, Keith, you got a drinking problem. It's time, man. And everyone, your daughter looks at you and you cry and you go to rehab. Um, so what you could try to do is, is get somebody into therapy as an intervention. So what you need in that case is a mass of people because you have, you need, you need more psychology facing the narcissist because their ego is so big. And you try to convince somebody to get into therapy, get some help. And there's, you know, ways you can do it that aren't as threatening. And that I think is a good option. I, I'm a believer in therapy, but it's hard to get somebody to go into it. I would imagine it also depends where on the spectrum they are if they're at NPD because a narcissist yeah. is the type of person where it, it's not their life that is craving therapy. It's the people around them yeah. whose lives are craving therapy. And yeah. a narcissist is the type of person that from the ones that I've had the pleasure <laughs> of knowing, uh, you know what? It, it's taught me a lot, actually. So pleasure in an in an odd sense, yeah. A lot of life what, lessons are A lot of painful. life lessons. The thing that you, you learn from the narcissist is they will be surrounded by people with their charisma and their all of these attributes that the narcissism almost gives them, yeah. all of these gifts. And as life progresses, as maybe their looks fade with age or... Yeah maybe they don't have a lot of money. I mean, the ones with money and power, those are the lucky ones. They'll stick around and they'll have some people around them. But a narcissist will lose people more and more over time as more and more people just 
you get to a point in your life where you say, I can't take it anymore. You're going to die living with a narcissist a little bit inside every day. But the narcissist is the person who's going to die alone at the end. You said it better than I did. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it, it, narcissism is a, is a young person's game. You know, if you want to be narcissistic, well, if you're 21 and attractive, maybe you can get away with it a little bit. Or 30, I don't know. Uh, being old and narcissistic, your looks go, your social standing goes, uh, your status goes. No one really wants to be around you. And the only way you can keep people around you is money or power. And if you don't have money, power, fame, something to, to keep people with you, they're not going to stay around and you're going to end up alone and then you're going to die alone and it's going to suck. Yeah. Especially I because mean, you're a narcissist and you need the fuel from all of those people. You got nothing. You. You're just a big, you're just a big sucking hole in need going to your death. It just, it's not a good thing, man. I, I don't tell anyone what to do, but I would not want to be facing my maker with just a big ego and no love. I it's just not what you want. You, you, you want a couple kids, you want somebody, you want a dog, you want your, you know, you want your neighbor who who likes you there. You want somebody there. You want your mom. Yeah, you just, nobody would be so sad. Especially it's, if it was on purpose. Everyone's like, Keith's a jerk. I don't want to talk to that guy. But, the, but Keith just wouldn't get it in those times when he still has other people giving him the fuel. <laughs> right. As long as you're energized and success focused and fame focused or status focused, you can be pretty happy being narcissistic. That takes a lot of energy and ambition to do. And when you stop doing that, you become kind of a surly jerk and you start to drive people away and then you end up alone and it's... Like I said, narcissism is not what you want to be when you're old. That's just my suggestion. And I talk to guys, you know, and more men than women, uh, a few that are narcissistic. Mostly it's people, you know, I get a million people say, uh, somebody's narcissistic, what do I do? Occasionally it's somebody's narcissistic saying, I want to change. And, and that, what seems to capture people is they're missing relationships. They don't have love. They have status. They have people who admire them. They have people who want to be them. But they don't have warmth. They don't have if real love. If they really love. want to change, that narcissist, they really want to change, how much, a, a degree, since you're a social scientist, a degree of a percentage, how much can they change, move on that spectrum if they put in the effort? Let's get to that next. So getting to narcissistic personality disorder and the relationship between narcissism and loneliness. I think they can move. I'm going to I'll put a number on. I bet you can move a half a standard deviation or perhaps a full standard deviation on a scale. I don't know what that means to a normal person. What, but I'm, that's, I'm barely normal. But what does that mean? <laughs> that I don't think in the context that you meant either. I um, it, It's something, you, you know, it'd be like changing Maybe like three inches in height for a man. I'm five feet tall. That would be exceptional. Right. I've always so like to be five foot two. So, so if you were five foot tall, where well, you're on the, you're kind of on the lower. I'm not saying I'm this in a negative lowest, way. Uh, yes, I'm in the yeah, 99th I mean, percentile. I, I, look, I'm five nine. Two inches mm -hmm. to me would be a game changer. Five, five foot to five two, game changer. Right. So yeah. that's what you're talking about. But if, if I were six foot going to six, two, maybe, well, yeah, that would be great too. Whatever. I can fantasize. It's significant, but it's not going to take you and make you, it's not going to take you and make you a 5'11 Scandinavian. It's going to make you five foot two or five foot three. But so they might, I'm, they, they might give them love. It, 
would be enough to get you to love. Yeah, it would make it a lot better. But it's it's typically you're not taking you know you're not taking you know turning Donald Trump into the Dalai Lama. But you could change people a little bit. The thing with narcissism that you can it's sometimes important to remember is you can keep your ego. You can think you're good looking. You can think you're all that. As long as you're nice and loving to people, it's okay. People will tolerate your ego as long as you genuinely, genuinely care about people. Well, you know who can always spot the narcissist? No problem. The best person at spotting the narcissist is my dog. My dog can spot That's... a narcissist from, uh, oh, yes, you know it. You've got yeah, a dog, you get those pet, you? you that pet radar where they're like mm-hmm. bad vibes. And you're like, what a nice guy. Look how confident that Dr. Mm-hmm. Strange is. The dog's like, Arr. Or yeah. dude. Do dogs have narcissism? Can they have? Do you know anything about this? Ah, uh, geez, no one's ever asked me that before. Um, <laughs> I, told you not I will normal. tell. You, no, that's great. Um, the original, some of the original ideas of narcissism actually came from Carl Rogers. Look at Alpha monkeys when he was studying rhesus monkeys at Wisconsin, I think. And so, if you look at personality in dogs, it's similar to personality in people. There's a few differences. You know, there's like. A little more dominance and a little less openness. Um, anyway, they do a lot of personality on animals now. It's kind of interesting. So with a dog, you'd see high antagonism and high dominance, and that would probably mm-hmm. look a little bit like narcissism. But you don't—I don't think you're going to find a charming dog. So the th- trick with the narcissist, with the humans, they can be really likable and seem nice and charming, but then be kind of mean and psychopathic. With a dog, I think what you're going to see is just more classic alpha level, like an alpha dog in a uh, with dominance. But you're not going to They're see a dog. They're straightforward. They're straightforward. They They're not like, hey, great to meet you. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry I cheated on you with your sister. But, you know, I'm really a sweet puppy at heart. You know, the, dogs aren't, you know, dogs so you're are more. you saying that we need to learn from dogs. Absolutely. Cats, Humans are manipulative. Cats are narcissistic. Well, they just are. <laughs> but that's just how they are, you know? They're little carnivores, solitary carnivores. Um, and, and it, yeah, but yeah, humans are complicated because we lie all the time. We're very um, hmm. deceitful in our social relationships. And we lie to people sometimes because it helps us lie to ourselves. So we don't even... So with narcissism, if I'm like, yeah, I, I really genuinely, I think I'm a nine out of 10 in attractiveness. You're like, you're a liar, Keith. I'm like, no, I genuinely think that. I mean, you just said exactly what filters are. People put filters on themselves. They're lying to themselves all of the time online. They don't look like what they look like online. Yeah, but I think they think they do for many people. Yes. So it's not like deep down, I'm like, I'm a horrible person, but I'm going to put up this act like, you know, the Wizard of Oz. Really, it's like, yeah, I'm pretty hot. And here's how I can look the hottest. You're like, I'm really I, hot. Look at those pictures. Like, dude, it's a filter. I think I, read a, I think I read an actual psychological study and not to present myself as a psychologist by any means. So I'm about to present you with a couple psychology questions here. But I read a study that said people who take selfies tend to think that their selfie looks better than people who look at the selfie. I I will guarantee you that's true because that's like a classic self-enhancement effect. Mm-hmm. But I can't remember the study. So I don't know if I've seen it. Okay, well. Not that I've read them all. I just have Google alerts come in. So I try to read all the narcissism stuff. That's my secret. <laughs> Not that much of a you're... secret. <laughs> no, it's. I think that you just guaranteed it. So that was... You, 
Keith Campbell just guaranteed it. So we're probably gu- guaranteed. Yeah, probably guaranteed. Probably it. guaranteed. Hundred percent. Probably. So two psychologists. Uh, they're friends of mine, and I said that you were going to be joining, and they both had the exact same question for you. And the question is, how can you promote insight to a narcissist when they're in session, I guess, with them? Oh, that's such a great question. And the problem is that my answer is, well, that's what you psychologists are supposed to do because that's the secret, <laughs> that's the secret of motivational interviewing, which mm-hmm. is uh, it's a way of interviewing clients and ask them about themselves so they develop their own motivation for positive change and growth. So again, I'm not, I should say, I'm not a clinical psychologist. I'm just an academic. Um, But if I were doing something like that, it would be like, Hey, tell me about yourself. How's your relationship? Interesting. Now, how's that working out for you? Not spending any time with your kids. Is that, is that a really good thing for you? Well, it's pretty good, but sometimes, Oh, so what do you think it would be like if you spent some time with your kids on the holidays and maybe had fun with them? Well, it would be kind of boring because I couldn't go work out, but, you know, it would be nice and, you know, people might like to see me and I'd have some good pictures with my kids. Maybe that is a good idea. And people start, you get people to think about what they're missing in their life Mm -hmm. and what they could get by being a little bit nicer and a little bit less self-centered and... That idea of motivational changes, you're, you're kind of making the shift in people because the, the people who are narcissistic have a major gap in their life. They don't have love. I mean, they just don't have warm, mutual relationships. And so that's, that's something you can, ex- I don't use like the word exploit, but you can, you can kind of get people to explore that a little bit and then think about maybe a way to positively change. And maybe you go, well, if, if people wanted to be friends with you, narcissist Keith, would they be nice to you or would they tell you how great they were? Ah, well, I like when people are nice to me and compliment me, not when they tell me how great they are. Interesting, Keith. So how do you think you should approach people? Well, tell them how great I am. Are you sure? <laughs> oh, maybe I should. Maybe I should let them tell me how great they are. And that might work better. So the idea is you just have a, it's this motivational kind of conversation to get but you want people to figure it out themselves because you can't make anybody change. That's why I always tell people, like, it's really hard to do therapy on a narcissist if you're a very good psychologist or psychotherapist or psychiatrist and the person wants to be there. It's hard. person doesn't want to be there. It's just not going to work. So I think that key is that motivational piece. I wonder if from just thinking about the one narcissist that I have in mind right now, narcissistic personality disorder. Uh, so we're looking at the extreme. We're looking at the end. I, I can't ever envision that person even sitting in front of a therapist. I can't ever envision that person saying, oh, you know, I, I'm missing out on this because they fool themselves into things all yeah. the time. So looking at the relationship of someone with NPD to psychopathy and maybe other disorders that might entrench them in that NPD and, and make them just someone who... There's nothing you can do. Yeah. So your question about psychotherapy is great. And my question is, if there was a world-famous psychotherapist who everyone knew about and just was written up in the New York Times, would your narcissistic friend see that therapist? Oh. Okay, so that's different. what I'm thinking about is an old book from the world-famous New York psychiatrist Ted Milan. I think it was... Oh, it might have been the wrong person. Anyway, don't worry about it. Um, and 
he had an article in the New York Times about how great he was at working with narcissists. He had 14 people call the next day. And he said, well, I'm booked up. You can work with one of my, uh, one of my colleagues. And every one of them said no. Hmm. Because they all wanted to work with him because he was in the New York Times and they could go to a cocktail party in Manhattan and say, I'm seeing, I'm seeing this doctor because he's a legend. He was in the New mm-hmm. York Times. That's my psychiatrist oh. in the New York Times. So what you do if you want to motivate narcissists to do something is you align it with their ego needs. It's, it's the best. Like, Everything's it's just, the best. You're, you're triggering yeah. memories of conversations. This is the best. That's the best. This is the best. The best, the best, the best. Yes. So that so it's very it's not very easy, but that's relatively easy way to manipulate people because you know what they care about. Mm -hmm. I mean, and people are, you know, I'm easy to manipulate. If you do something really fun and interesting I've never done before, I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. You know, like somebody just invited me to do some show. I'm like, why would I go there? I mean, like, but if it was something really fun or I'll I'll go, I don't care. Um, So that's because I'm really high in openness. But if I'm very narcissistic, I want to hear how great I am. So if you want to say, hey, see the psychiatrist, he's the best guy in the country. You know, he he actually saw two presidents and a secretary of state. You'd be you'd be an incredible. See what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you're phrasing things in an ego way and then you go. God, you see that guy with his, you know, how nice he is to all those people at work. He's a great boss. I really admire him. What kind of, look at that guy. He's a really self-centered boss. He disgusts me. I don't like him. I like this guy. Um, who do you want to be as a boss? I want to be the guy everyone likes. So it's it's trying to align ego needs with pro-social needs. Yeah. And to the extent you can do that, you're going to get better results. I'd love to see you engage in a conversation with someone with NPD. That would be an exciting tennis match for me. Well, you would just lob it to them. It's not even a match. You just lob it. I know. I'm not a, I'm not a psychotherapist. I have no skills. Maybe you should be. I I want to get to a a few things. (laughs) I have a lot of respect for psychologists. It is hard. Yeah, it's hard. I think, I think you even said, you said earlier, I'm just a research. People often put just a before their profession. And I find that very interesting because a narcissist would never say I'm just a unless they did I'm just unless they're really secret. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah I do it. I'm just fishing for compliments. Yeah, I'm like I'm just, just a professor, and you're like, no, you're not. You won that <laughs> Nobel Prize in seven, 1978. That was yeah, unbelievable, Dr. Campbell. Somebody who is constantly saying, without even the accusation of it, I'm not a narcissist. I'm not a narcissist. I'm not a narcissist. Is that a me death protest too much situation? It kind of sounds like it, but I'd, I've never, you know, I don't know any data on something like that. And generally people who are narcissistic are more likely to say they're narcissistic. You know, if you ask really? people, yeah, I mean, it's why the self-report works. If you ask people, you know, how narcissistic are you on a 10-point scale? They'll say, yeah, I'm more narcissistic than most people. Yeah, people are pretty aware of it. You know, it's not like people are super dialed in, but there's a general awareness that I'm a little more self-centered than people. I'm not going to say I'm a 10, but yeah, I'm a little bit self-centered. People, people are aware of it. That's why the self-report questionnaires work. I want to be a leader. Yeah, I'd like to look at myself in the mirror. Yeah, I'd like to be the center of attention. Yeah, well, kind of narcissistic. Well, I guess. I want to go into this then because talking about the sort of self-identifying personality 
tests that you're putting together here with ocean mm. and you keep bringing up words from it like openness yeah, and yeah I, I feel like it's, you have to help because yeah. people love to diagnose themselves too and you know that there's going to be a million diagnoses that come from this can yeah. you take five minutes to explain ocean i can so with my personality psychology hat on personality psychologists do a couple things one is we look at specific traits like narcissism is a specific trait that's historically been really interesting type a personality you know that's one people talk about a lot maybe sense of humor so these these little personality traits we look at there's also what's called a general model of personality which is a, a model that's supposed to capture all of personality so the narcissism is capturing your, your kind of your ego a general model is supposed to be an overall personality map. And when personality psychologists have tried to map personality, map per personality traits, one really useful way of doing it is saying, yeah, there are these kind of five big buckets that traits go into. We call them the big five. They're like giant traits that things f fall into. So if, if I said, well, Dolly is, is creative and interesting and curious and um, clever and interested in ideas. Well, all those traits are different, but they're all kind of what we would call openness. They're all aspects of openness. If I said, well, Dahlia is kind, compassionate, cooperative, likes to get along with people, has a high sense of empathy, well, that's high agreeableness. So, so that's the idea. These are big, they're like huge traits. They, they fit a lot. Well, the, the five big five traits that we use, that we use most commonly, you can use six, you can use four. It's not like God made five traits, but this works. Spell ocean or canoe. So this is how people tend to remember them because they spell ocean or canoe. I like ocean because I'm from Laguna and I'm a surfer. I like ocean um, too. Yeah. So open, it starts with openness to experience and openness is a combination of sort of interest in philosophy and art and design, aesthetics, creativity. It's not super related to narcissism. The, the C stands for conscientiousness, and that's a combination of sort of grit, industriousness, work, people who like to work, and also people who are organized, punctual, neat, kind of got their stuff together. Mm -hmm. That's another one. That doesn't fit really well with narcissism either. That's the C. The next three I are where we find... I just want to point out that you were one minute early for our interview. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah. That's, 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 that's the conscious... I always say I'm low conscientiousness, but I'm not. I'm very conscientious, but mm -hmm. I work with all these academics who are like hyper-conscious. So I'm like one step below. So that's C. The next is E, and that's extroversion. And most of us know extroversion because that's a popular trait. Uh, most of us think about it being sociable, which is a big piece of it. But the other piece is assertiveness, energy, or drive, or ambition. So extroversion is the trait you see in a lot of leaders, you see in a lot of people who are builders. Uh, so it's not just being sociable, but that's a big piece. And that's what we talk about with grandiose narcissism is you see high extroversion. The next letter is A, which is agreeableness, which we've been talking about a lot because that's at the center of narcissism. And high agreeableness is kind, cooperative, uh, loving, emotional, and low agreeableness, also known as antagonism, is mean, have a high sense of entitlement, think you're superior to other people, have grandiose fantasies, I mean, grandiose self-beliefs. So that's where you get a lot of narcissism is that antagonism, low agreeableness. And the final N is for neuroticism. And neuroticism is the trait we find associated with vulnerable narcissism. And it's a combination of... Hey, puppy. Sorry, the puppies are starting to bark. Okay. Um, 
Neuroticism is a combination of stability in the self. Some people feel more stable, some are less stable, and also depression and anxiety. People are kind of anxious, nervous, sad. Um, so that those big five ocean, you could take any trait you give me, I can kind of, I can turn it into big five, if that makes sense. So if I take grandiose narcissism, I go, well, that's extroversion with low agreeableness. So somebody is really disagreeable or antagonistic and also extroverted, that's grandiose narcissism. Somebody who's really disagreeable but also neurotic, kind of depressed, anxious, and stable, that's going to see vulnerable narcissism. What's the, because now I'm, I'm putting myself into those, taking those different buckets and distributing myself in those. What's the perfect person according to science? Huh. So, um, the, the model of the perfect person, at least in the Western cultural tradition, is what we call the big one. So that would be somebody who's high on every one of those traits except neuroticism. So somebody who's open, conscientious, extroverted, agreeableness, and, and not neurotic, which we say we call emotionally stable. Mm-hmm. So that's considered the most adaptive or healthy profile. But the challenge with personality is you can have problems on either end. So if you're way too extroverted, you can have problems with... I have problems because of my extroversion. It's hard for me to talk to people. I just talk too much. People become so conscientious, they become perfectionistic. And so they can't finish a task and start a new task. They get too... They perseverate on tasks. People get so agreeable, they become doormats. They get manipulated by people. Whereas people who are antagonistic make more money. People who are neurotic... Although they're sad, they're also really good at detecting threats. So people who have very low neuroticism can put themselves at risk. Everybody ever just, they'll go out and do crazy stuff, like go swim in the ocean. He did a triathlon and it's passed out in the street and got mad when an ambulance picked him out because he figured he would have recovered on his own. I'm like, dude, you need some neuroticism, man. <laughs> so I'll, when I teach a big class, I'll have 300 students. I'll say, how many people want to be more extroverted? Half the people. How many people want to be less extroverted? Five people. So even with normal personality, extremes can be a problem. Well, yeah, everything. I mean, I look at the worst markers in my personality or maybe, you know, as they would be defined by others, my anxiety or my neuroticism. I, I love those. I wouldn't want you to take them away from me. If you said I could take it all away from you, I feel as though they've helped create me and, and they help me through life. Yes. I can't stand them a lot of the time, <laughs> but um, I like Yeah, them. and so what you're talking about in the old psychoanalytic terms is that your anxiety has become egocentric. It feels like it's part of you and you don't want to give it up because uh, you feel like it's working for your personality. And our personalities aren't just one trait. They're a complicated web of traits that have trade-offs. So if I got rid of more, of more neuroticism, I'd be dead. I mean, I need to be as neurotic as I am because I do stupid stuff because I'm crazy. I need <laughs> to be scared, you know. So I, I'm with you on that. These traits matter, and they, I, they they're who we are. Yeah, I see that. I see that more and more as I get older and older. I want to just touch upon one thing because I wrote things down as you say them too. When you talk about psychedelics, psychedelics and healing, whether we're talking about NPD or other yeah. disorders or issues. And with your research in that, what's the promise you see? They, this is a huge four-hour discussion, which I will do in one minute. Uh, <laughs> I do research on ayahuasca, which is a very, very powerful shamanic, psychedelic used in shamanic practice. I've worked with 
you know, look at normal samples. I've looked at special forces, often people dealing with PTSD. I've looked at narcissism, and I should say I, it's we, because grad students doing all the work. And what you find is that these psychedelics done in these ritualistic, you know, with the appropriate set and setting are incredibly, I should say, very healing for neuroticism and for trauma. I've seen it myself. I've seen it in other people. I've seen the data where, you know, your people's neuroticism will drop substantially in big groups. Not everybody, but it works for that. Uh, With the narcissism per se, it seems to work with vulnerability, but it doesn't seem to change grandiosity all that much. Some people feel a really strong nature connection afterwards, but often what happens is people get more energized. They get more extroverted because they feel you know, they feel less trauma, they feel more love. So it doesn't seem to reduce, you know, grandiose narcissism as much as vulnerable narcissism. And as I mentioned earlier, I get concerned in in these communities, people have religious experiences, they have mystical experiences, they see the divine, they become one with God, people, all sorts of crazy stuff happens. And people that are narcissistic come back and they think, well, I've now been in touch with God, I'm going to go train people. So it can be a narcissism enhancer in certain people. So I'm always concerned about people using psychedelics and becoming gurus or teaching people what to do if they haven't gone through the work themselves, if they've got a big ego to it. Yeah. I'm concerned about anybody who calls themselves a guru. All right. (laughs) Advice for your daughter, Keith. Advice for your daughter. Let's pretend we we know that she's got great sibling, great parents, but let's pretend a narcissistic. <laughs> pretend. Uh, yeah, definitely pretending. This is just how I'm getting you to give advice to your daughter because you don't like giving advice. This is I just don't. my way of getting advice. It's from working. You. Yeah. Somebody whose parent is a narcissist and they have just destroyed this child with trauma. Maybe it's an adult child now. What should this adult child do? This, again, is advice for my kid. Everyone's situation is different. I hope I made enough caveats with that, and I don't give advice. Uh, But if it was my daughter and it was that screwed up, I'd say you got to distance and heal. So you got to get away from the person. You got to protect yourself so they're not still damaging you. You have to separate psychologically to the extent you can. I'd get into therapy, and you're going to have to do so much re- calibration of who you are because what happens you have a narcissistic parent you're a kid it can happen a couple things one is if you're kind of a loser as a kid or you're not a special kid or the parent's a jerk they just ignore you or they bully you or harass you and you just get pounded right so you're just pounded you don't like them and you have to learn to love yourself and that's a process the other thing that can happen that's better in some ways and worse than other ways is the parent uses you as a trophy or as a prop so if I have a, say my daughter's really talented, she's really good at cross country and she runs and meets. Well, I could take her to meets and brag about my daughter and tell her how great she is. And my daughter thinks my dad loves me as long as I'm good at cross country. But when she fails, I ignore her, I bully her, or I put her down in front of people. And so what happens is you get these kids that have, that, that learn, um, that their self-esteem is contingent on their performance. Their self-worth, as you put it, is it depends on how they do. If they're good, they have self-worth. If they don't, they're losers. And they can end up being very successful kids. I mean, this is like the old book, The Drama of the Gifted Child, Alan, Alice Miller's old masterpiece. You end up with kids that are out there really successful, but deep inside as a whole. And then 
they might realize what happened. Oh my God, I was set up by a narcissistic parent. And then they've got to work this out. They've got to integrate this whole, and that's just, that's just psychotherapy. That's, I mean, I, I, I see the shaman, but that was because I saw the psychologist for the first 20 years. So I would say get into therapy, get away from the unhealthy person, try to connect with healthy people to the extent you can and just relearn who you are. It's possible to do this. I've seen people do it all the time. I mean, pe- but it's hard, like growing as a person and getting in touch with that. Like if you have an abusive parent, everyone sees your trauma. But if you have a parent who made you a trophy, made you a you know, you were like the princess. My daughter was my princess. And then she turns out I was a princess for an evil king and I was only the princess so he could feel more king-like. It's horrible to do that to a daughter. So I would never do it to mine. And if I did, I would say, get the hell away from me because I'm a bad dad and go find some healing. Yeah, then you wouldn't be a true NPD. Okay, so then the next question <laughs> is, let's say that your daughter loves this man who treats her like garbage he's a narcissist but i love him but i love him get a u-haul leave a note that's (laughs) you you wanted that 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 is the answer i give my daughter get a u-haul leave a note sorry it's not working out i'm i'm following my inner voice to to alaska and then just move to new mexico yeah also to to just so that uh, your daughter knows, I'll add this little part as someone who's <laughs> experienced it. You can expect a narcissistic rage and people can get very ugly and abusive and scary. Well, that yeah, that's why I said go to Alaska. <laughs> tell them you're going to Alaska and tell them you're going to New Mexico. <laughs> that's what I meant. Yeah, you don't you yeah. leave a note, a lie, because, yeah, this I mean, this is the O.J. Simpson thing They're back in person. the day. You can end up you reject somebody who's narcissistic and they're going to take it as an ego threat. And they're going to have to eliminate you because they can't, you know, it's it's horrifying. It, it, this is so bad. If, if somebody hasn't seen a narcissistic rage, I've witnessed this. Uh, a narcissistic rage, that person whom you know who's raging against you in whatever way, they become unrecognizable to you. Yeah. You suddenly look at them and physically they present differently. They look differently. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, I would love to be able to do this in the lab. We can't, and you know, we can make people upset in a lab, but we can't induce rage uh, for, for ethical reasons. I don't really want to do it. But yeah, you see, you go, oh my God, that person is like, they're like another human being has taken them over, like they're possessed. And then you go, yeah. oh my God, maybe that was them the whole time. And I just never saw that side of them because I've just been seeing this show they're putting on. Well, yeah. what advice then are you giving to your daughter (laughs) so that she can spot a narcissist so that she doesn't have to rent that u-haul because they're expensive gas has really gone up in price what is the advice to someone to spot a narcissist so uh, my advice for spotting a narcissist is you can't really just look at somebody and just pick it up because narcissists are attractive grandiose narcissists you meet them you like them that's just generally, that's the data show that. Uh, what I suggest doing is looking at somebody's history. And if they have a history of damaging people, a history of lying to people, a history of sort of failed relationships or immoral behavior, I mean, you can see the narcissism that way. It's not like you it's just- You don't see gonna... the history on Tinder. <laughs> no, but that's the problem. You, you can't just start dating people. You have to figure out their history. The other thing you can do that, that might work is watch how they treat people that are sort of beneath them, waiting staff or things like that. So you can see where the ego's working, how people, like 
you're dating somebody who's narcissistic and they're into you, they're going to, they can love bomb you, which is what the kids call it now, which they think they call it being nice love to somebody, bombing, love bombing, future faking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they, they have all these terms they use now, but it's, we used to just call it game playing, where they, the narcissist will profess love and they can also, they're really good at self-inflation. So they can make you feel inflated. But the other thing is when you're with people who are narcissistic, you get really excited because you're like, I'm with this powerful, important person. You know, mm-hmm. this is great. Oh, so to have be, a narcissist on your side is excellent. It's really, it can be really powerful. I mean, the, the metaphor I've used with dating narcissists is chocolate cake model, chocolate cake trap. It's basically if I give somebody a choice between eating a salad or chocolate cake, people will eat the chocolate cake every time. And then they feel sick 20 minutes later, like, and then they hate themselves. Why did I eat the chocolate cake? Well, you ate the chocolate cake because it tasted good. That's why you ate it. But you've realized there's a consequence to that chocolate cake because you feel bad and you don't like yourself. So maybe next time eat the salad. But it's hard to do because narcissists are just attractive, energized. You know, the Tiger King's more. That's why reality television is filled with narcissists because they're fun to watch. I have my own chocolate cake model that I talk about and it's a little bit different well it's a lot different than yours but it's funny that I use a chocolate cake model it's also funny that I created one as the because I'm not a researcher but my what chocolate cake model is a, a narcissist a grandiose narcissist so attractive so wonderful so protective and great to be around yeah but they are like a chocolate cake with all of the best ingredients except you forgot one you forgot to put the baking powder in there and all you need is like not even a teaspoon and you have this huge chocolate cake not even a teaspoon the whole cake is ruined they are a ruined chocolate cake with all the best ingredients except for the baking powder yeah i I, that metaphor works because what's missing is the love they the the sincerity the the agreeableness the that piece is just not there and if that piece is lacking, you just end up with somebody who's like a well-groomed jerk, jerk hole. A, a jerk hole. What a way to end this off. May I ask that you one last be... question? Absolutely. The last question. So agreeable. Oh, my goodness. The last question is, what do you still need to learn as a researcher about narcissism? <sighs> That's a great question. I think... This is going to sound arrogant, but I think we pretty much figured out the personality structure of narcissism and we figured out some of the basic dynamics. So we, we've got the, the basic map really good. What we don't have down is the dynamics over the day, over the hour, over the week. Like how are people's minds working? Are they saying I'm awesome? Are they saying I'm a terrible? Is it going back and forth or is it one thing? So we don't really understand that piece very well. We don't understand the childhood piece very well. We have the behavioral genetic work I was talking about. We have some childhood work, but we need more and more to really figure this out. Um, And I think in terms of the therapeutic work, I think we kind of know that stuff will work, but there's been, we really need gold standard uh, clinical trials on doing the right therapy for somebody with NPD. So I can tell people, yeah, do this therapy. There's trials that show it work. We just don't have that. So those are the big areas. In terms of the, the structure, I think we kind of get how narcissism works. I can talk to all sorts of people and we all sort of agree on it, which is a huge breakthrough in science, but there's a lot to do. 
I think that you've given us a lot to think about and your daughter has some great advice to <laughs> heed. Thank you so much for taking so much time to join us today. And uh, I definitely need to have you back so we could talk about psychedelics and all of these other things that you said you could spend a few hours talking about. I could spend a few hours talking about anything. That's my, I told you my extroversion gets me into trouble. Openness no, and just, extroversion. It just gets you into podcasts, Keith. It, I, it does get podcasts. me into a lot of podcasts. It's not enough to can't pay tuition with the podcast, but you have a lot of fun. Okay. Meet, meet a lot of nice people. So thank you so much. Thank you. I know. I know. I am still absorbing all of that too. I was there for it, then listened to it a couple of more times, and I still learn something new from it each time I listen. But there you have it. Episode 26, Narcissism, a lot of questions answered and a lot more created. So yes, I'll make sure to have Dr. Keith Campbell back again. He's a world-leading expert in narcissism, plus he's fun, so how can I not? But be sure to share this episode with those people that you care about because we're all affected by narcissism and narcissists and we all need to understand this better, especially because, and you heard him talk about it, so many of us feel so very alone, so very lonely right now. That said, I have a special upcoming episode planned for you. You will meet the most joyful person on the planet. People around the world celebrate him because he helps everyone find joy, even in darkness. Special surprise guest, he is coming up for you. So you should definitely make sure to follow this podcast so you don't miss it. And please leave a review wherever you listen. It just helps people find us more easily. And this community is growing. And the more it grows, the more we can grow kindness and eliminate loneliness. And the less likely people are to get sucked in to the world of a narcissist. Now, I want to thank you for dropping by the neighboralia and for making my day by doing just that. Mm-hmm. You did. So now it is your turn. Make your own day. And you'll probably make someone else's day by doing just that without even knowing it. Now go live and help live. Oh, oh, nothing rhymes without ya. Nothing rhymes without ya. Nothing rhymes without ya. Neighboralia.